We're in Exodus chapter 12, verses 14 to 20 today. <clears throat> and I've entitled the message, Never Forget. As we think about that title, I want to read you this illustration this morning. London witnessed a spectacular scene recently when a giant wooden replica of the city ignited and burned brilliantly to the ground. The conflagration was planned, however, in honor of the 350th anniversary of the Great Fire of London. The original fire began on September 2nd, 1666, in the early morning at a bakery on Pudding Lane. The surrounding structures were soon engulfed, and the fire spread to the rest of the city, lasting four entire days. The modern-day festival to remember the disaster is known as London's Burning and contains four days of free art events, concluding this year with the grand burning of the replica of medieval London. So this is 20, 2016. At first glance, it seems a bit odd to celebrate such a ca catastrophe, especially with another fire, right? That doesn't seem very good. However, as gruesome as the Great Fire may have been, it now has its place firmly uh, etched into the city's history as a turning point, the beginning of a time of regrowth and resurgence for London. Christians arguably perform the same odd type of ritual when we take communion and decorate our homes and sacred buildings with crosses. We not only commemorate the brutal murder of Jesus, but we adorn our worship with the murder weapon, the cross, one of the most widely known torture devices of that time period. And yet, it doesn't seem strange to us because we know that what Satan intended to be the ultimate act of evil, God turned around to the ultimate act of love. So see, we kind of do the same thing that London does, right? And we're going to see that God was commanding this of the Israelites. He was giving them a directive. And so when I think about uh, things um, that I've experienced that I'll never forget, here's just a short list. My wedding day, the birth of my three sons, the weddings of our two oldest sons, the birth of our grandchildren, my calling into pastoral ministry, the ordination, my ordination with the United Brethren in Christ, and I could just, the list could just go on and on and on. And so I want you to think this morning for yourselves, what experiences have we all had that we will never forget? Do you have them in your mind this morning? Maybe it's one or two or... Anyhow, the Lord has just given Moses and Aaron the instructions for Passover, and now he outlines a festival celebration that will be the lasting ordinance for the Israelites for the future. So they'll never forget how he rescued them from Egypt. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is to be followed precisely. Anyone who, had, who was unfaithful to the instructions would be cut off from the Israelites. And the Israelites were to demonstrate their faith in God's saving power by being faithful to his commands and his decree. And the same is true for us. And that's our big idea today, that our faith is demonstrated by our faithfulness. And so as we let that sink in this morning, let's just turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today just worshiping you for your word. Thank you that we can dive into it, Lord God, that we can, that we can um, just enjoy uh, the incredible truths that are there, Lord God, that we can mine these, uh, these nuggets of truth, Lord God, and we can apply them to our lives. I pray today that your Holy Spirit would just work in hearts and minds as we uh, just gather together to study. Lord, I pray that, that our faith would be demonstrated by our faithfulness to you. And so, Lord, we come to you today. We ask that your, your voice would be heard and not my voice. 
Lord, I want your people to hear you today. And so would you speak loud and clear? And we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm, let's just read the whole uh, section of verses because what happens is um, it kind of repeats itself just a little bit. It gives us a little more detail. But let's look at all of those verses. Verses 14 to 20 this morning. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it, from the first day through the seventh day, must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and another one on the seventh day. Do not work at all on these days, except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Verse 17, celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because it, it was on this day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses, and whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Whether uh, he is an alien or native-born, eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread." So you see how it kind of repeats, uh, verses 17 to 20 kind of repeat what was uh, said in verses 14 to 16. So verses 14 to 16 really kind of give us a general instructions about this commemorative festival. And then verses 17 to 20 provide more specifics about that festival. And so we're going to just look at various parts of the festival and review the general and specific sections together. That's why I read it all together because we're gonna, I'm going to kind of combine different sections to talk about this passage today. The first thing we want to talk about is the what. What, it, what is being talked about here? We see it in verses 14a, 15b, 16, 17a, 19b through c, and 20a and c. You're like, what? You'll understand. Anyhow, he talks about a feast or the, or the festival or a feast of unleavened bread. We see that in verses 14a and 17a. So we get a, a general understanding that it's some kind of festival to commemorate something, and then we get the specifics of it in verse 17, where he says it's, it is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so the Lord told Moses and Aaron that the Israelites were to commemorate this day. The day that's being referred to is Passover, the day in which the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And so they were to celebrate a festival to the Lord every year so the, gen, so the generations to come would not forget that God is a delivering God. Uh, Stewart in his commentary says, why did God want his people to remember the Exodus so carefully? Because it was his supreme old covenant demonstration of deliverance, and he wanted his people to trust him as a delivering God. The old covenant Exodus was the paradigm of God's saving acts. The New Testament crucifixion was the ultimate Exodus because it delivers not merely from bondage to human despotism, but from, human, or from bondage to sin itself. And thus it provides for life not merely in a promised earthly land, but in an eternal promised land, the home of the Father. So he wanted his people to understand what this represented. The Passover foreshadowed the perfect sacrifice of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so our first principle is this today. We can trust God to deliver us. Aren't you glad for that today? We commemorate Jesus' perfect sacrifice when we observe Holy Communion. Through communion, we are joining Jesus in His suffering and death. We, we remember His body that was broken for us and His blood that was poured out for us. 
So it's a remembrance. And so our faith in Jesus' perfect sacrifice is demonstrated through our faithfulness to observing Holy Communion. Isn't that important? You know, we were just like, hey, our faith in what Jesus did for us is demonstrated through our faithfulness to, in Holy Communion. This is important. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection brought us life, right? Because we were born in sin. Romans 3.23 tells us that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't reach the perfection of God because of that sin in our lives. We're all born that way. And God, or Paul, in writing uh, in Romans 6.23, goes on and he says that we deserve separation from God because of our sin. He says, for the wages of sin is death. I like the second part of that verse, but the gift of God you know, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a God who loves us so deeply that he loved us even while we were sinners. Like He, he, he doesn't love us just because we became a follower of Christ. He loved us in our sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty grateful for that today. That while I was still a sinner, God was like, oh, I love you so much, Stuart. <laughs> I want you to be in a relationship with me. And then we see what Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. This really guides us in that relationship, in that first step in that relationship with the Lord, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. We just need to confess that Jesus is Lord. We need to believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and it's through that, that faith, right? Demonstrating our faith in who Jesus is and what he did that transforms us completely into being a follower of Christ. So are you ready to trust God to deliver you from your sin today? Maybe you're ready to take that first next step, and it says to trust God to deliver me from my sin. If you've never done that before, I, I pray that today is the day. I pray that God will just stir your heart to make that step, to recognize that he loves you even as you are in your sin. From this passage, we also see a second principle that comes right. It's a quote from Merida's commentary. It is important that we remind ourselves and others of all that God has done for us. And that's precisely what the Lord wanted the Israelites to do every year. So when is the last time we've stopped to remind ourselves and others of all that God has done for us? Some of us pause on Thanksgiving Day, right? And we share that what we're thankful for. But we don't have to wait for a specific time each year to remind ourselves and others. We can remind ourselves and others each morning or evening. Some people keep a grateful journal where they write down everything that they're grateful for and then they can refer back to it. Like, this is what God has done. They're remembering. It's a great way to, to remember, especially when we feel down. When we feel anxious, when we feel depressed, boy, we can pull that grateful journal out and we can just start going through it and say, God, look what you've done. So let's take some time this morning to remind ourselves and others of all that God has done for us. That's what we're going to do right now. I just I want to hear from you this morning. 
What are you grateful for of all that God has done for you? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I just have so many things to be grateful for. I couldn't, I'd never get done naming them all. But I'm so thankful that he died on the cross and took my sins with him so that I would one day be able to join him. Uh, and that's a, a praise that I will never, ever not remember. And I, I just pray for my family. Uh, that means so much for me because I want them to have that salvation and that peace and joy that we I experience. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Oh, way back here. You all can't see it, but it's John. It's John. Yeah, I'm uh, really thankful that we don't grieve as those who have no hope. This will be the fourth funeral next Saturday that I need to attend. But it's so different when a believer passes because it. Uh, I'm jealous. I'm stuck here, you know. Amen. Oh. Um, I'm thankful because God watches over us um, in the things that we do uh, and has all my life. And I'm even like when we first flew to Africa, I remember looking at the moon out the window and thinking, okay, God, if you can keep that moon up there, you can keep us up here till we're supposed to come down. Um, but I've been a very fearful person, and he's taken me through all those fears. And, and he still does. Yesterday, Bob took a tree down, and I had to leave the house, and he was in the middle of taking a tree down. I'm like, you be careful. He's like, okay. And so he did text me and he said it's down safely it just took the light post out but everything else is okay so uh, I'm just really grateful my husband tries to do all kinds of things and God has kept him safe through all those efforts I'm very grateful yeah amen so Bob has another project to work on now I'm coming up from behind you. Just say, oh, we're, com we're coming. coming. Uh, I have so many things to be thankful for. And number one, I thank God for being in my life. Yeah. Um, over the years with dealing with my health conditions, I don't know where I would have turned to without God. Amen. I thank him for putting me with my family. <laughs> he put me with great parents, a great brother, you know, great grandparents, um, he brought me to my beautiful wife, my children. Amen. And he's brought me to this church. Yeah. And I'm thankful for each and every one of you. And uh, I just could not ask for anything more. Yeah. 
Praise the Lord. Okay, Jackie, here we are. Doug kind of took mine, but <laughs> um, as I get older, I really, really appreciate the family that God gave me, yeah. the godly parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, my sister, and then I'm so grateful for my kids and my grandchildren. And it, when I see other people and I see other families, I realize what he gave me. Amen. Amen. Oh, Doris. I'm so thankful that God has provided all my needs, not always the way what I want, but he has always provided my needs. And I'm very grateful for a family that I just praise the Lord that all of them are serving him. Yeah, amen. There's a music stand there, by the way. Okay, I wasn't going to say anything, but I can't keep quiet. Um, I'm really thankful for uh, friends. Yeah. I've got a lot of friends that um, I just, here at the church, uh, people that I've had friends with over the years. Um, the one thing that happened, I mean, I have, everybody's been praying for us, and, and yeah. I really appreciate that. And it's good to know that I have friends like that that come up and, and um, tell me they're praying for us, and, and I I've told him, I said, you better pray for me because <laughs> I've got a lot on my plate yeah. right now. But anyway, uh, what happened was at Giants, um, I had a friend that I've known for years, and she's been coming down there, and, and um, she got in my line, and I, she had some flowers, and I said, oh, those are really pretty. And she paid for them, and she said, these are for you. <laughs> and you want to talk about not trying to choke up when I'm trying to got people in line. Was, that was really hard. And I gave her a hug, and I thanked her, and she says, I know you're having a problem with Chuck and everything. And, 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 and the thing was, that morning, I was praying to God, just, you know, don't let me miss any blessings that you have for me that day. And that was not expected. So I just want to thank for all my friends I have yeah. here and in the past and everything. Yeah, amen. Well, thank you all. It's so good to hear from <laughs> from you on. I'm sure uh, many of uh, you, there we go, <laughs> also have other uh, ones that you could share as well, but um, anyhow. So what we see then is uh, just the second next step this morning that goes along with that principle. Maybe you just need to remind either yourself or others that God has done what? Just fill in that blank. What has he done in your life? And wow, verse 14 gives us the general description of a festival. Verse 17 gives us the specific name of the festival. So he calls it the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we learn that the name of the festival is just that. We also learn that the day that is being referred to is the, the day that the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. And so the first two principles are, are just evident again in verse 17, as they were in verse uh, 14, that we can trust God to deliver us. And two, it's important that we remind ourselves and others of all that God has done for us. So far, we've learned that the festival is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it's designed to help the Israelites remember that God was their deliverer. Now we learn more details about what, 
was required during this festival. In verse 15, the second half of verse 15 and verses 19, uh, B and C, verse 20, A and C, we kind of learned some things about this. There wasn't supposed to be any yeast. No yeast. This was a decree that God brought down. They would remove all yeast from their homes before the festival began. There were a couple of ways to make bread with yeast, as Stuart outlines in his commentary. First, you can dip dough in wine or vinegar and then air it out in the sun so it would pick up the airborne yeast spores before storing it in a closed vessel until it fermented. That's how you made bread with yeast. Or you would knead flour and water, add salt, boil the mix into a porridge, and then leave it until it went sour. So that's how they were making leavened bread. So, you know, bread that would rise and be fluffy and uh, soft and warm. Right? I want some warm, I want some fresh bread right now. So that's what they were doing. And they probably stored whatever yeast they had in a closed container and removed it from their homes so that the unleavened bread, which they called the matzah, that they made would not accidentally become leavened bread. They would be able to tell if their unleavened bread was accidentally yeasted because it would not be a flat cracker sheet. That's what it looked like without yeast in it. And so they were to eat nothing that had yeast in it. They had to eat unleavened bread during the festival all seven days. In the New Testament, we see the use of yeast as a symbol for how thoroughly evil can corrupt and influence our lives. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. But here, the removal of yeast did not necessarily symbolize the corrupting influence of evil. I like what Hamilton says. Rather, it's non-use for these seven days in the bread one eats simply reminds the consumer that when God says go, he means go now. Drop everything you're doing. When a smoke detector goes off in, in our houses, right, through its sharp beeps, it's saying, evacuate immediately. Before leaving, the occupant may scoop up a few family photos, but one will not stop to vacuum the carpets first, right? So, like, when you hear the fire alarm going off, you're not like, I better get the vacuum out. I, because when the firefighters come, I got to have the carpet clean, right? No, you're not thinking about that. You're like, I need to get my photo albums. I need to get out of the house. There's an urgency there. It's, it's go, go now. And so that's what... This was reminding them, no yeast in their bread once a year was to remind them when God said, get up and go out of Egypt, they were to be obedient, and they would do it immediately. And so when we do something consistently for a period of time, it has a tendency to fix it in our minds, right? And so the same would be true for the Israelites as they ate unleavened bread for seven straight days. It would help them to remember and not forget God's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. They weren't supposed to forget. That was the whole design behind the, fe- or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. <clears throat> we see some consequences here, though, too. The Israelites knew that if they did not obey the Lord's decree, they would be cut off from the community. So being cut off from the community could take various forms, as Hamilton suggests. It could be an earlier-than-expected death. So certainly you could be cut off from the Israelites that way. You could be experiencing childlessness. It could be the elimination of the sinner's family and descendants. Or it could be failure to join and enjoy the hereafter with one's family already in the land of eternal bliss. So you might be cut off in one of those ways. It could also simply mean by their actions they exclude themselves from being members of the holy nation. 
So they weren't going to be able to continue to participate in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so the Old Testament has a wide variety of commands that had the same warning concerning being cut off for disobedience. <clears throat> In Genesis 17, 14, it's failure to practice circumcision. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 15 and 19, it's failure to eat unleavened bread during Passover. That's what we're studying right now. In Exodus chapter 30, verses 32 to 33 and verse 38, Illegally manufacturing or using the sacred anointing oil. God said, don't do it. This is just for the temple. Exodus chapter 31, verse 14, violating the Sabbath. Exodus 7, 20 to 21, eating sacrificed food while ritually impure. In Leviticus chapter 7, verse 25 and 27, eating the fat or blood of a sacrifice. Levi, or Leviticus, not Levi, he's right here. Leviticus chapter 17, verses 4 and 9. If you slaughter or sacrifice outside the tabernacle, Leviticus chapter 18, verses 29, and verse, uh, chapter 20, verses 17 to 18, uh, participating in forbidden sexual practices, Leviticus 20, 2 to 5, child sacrifice, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6 is necromancy, which is trying to divine the future by contact with the dead, Leviticus 22, 3 worship function by a defiled priest. So a priest couldn't be serving if he was defiled. Leviticus 23, 29 to 30, failure to observe the Day of Atonement. Numbers 9, 13, failure to commemorate Passover. Numbers 15, 30 to 31, defiant intentional sin. And Numbers 19, uh, verses 13 and 20, is failure to purify oneself after contact with the dead. <clears throat> and so this just leads us to our third principle today, that is our big idea, that our faith is demonstrated by our faithfulness. Stuart goes on and says, the person who defies God's regulation shows that he has no interest in keeping covenant with him and therefore will eventually suffer the consequences of not obeying God. The proof of faith <clears throat> is a faithful life. So where are you at today? Are you living a faithful life or are you defying or ignoring God's regulations? There are consequences for defying or ignoring his regulations. We see in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, these words. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. That's what he's talking about here, Matthew in writing. It's like, listen, if we're not willing to to demonstrate our faith by being faithful, then perhaps we're on the wide road and the broad gate that leads to destruction. And we're not on the narrow road and the small gate that leads to life. And so maybe you're ready to take this third next step today, and that's to prove my faith in God by being faithful to His commands and regulations. So those who ate leavened bread during the festival would be cut off from the community of Israel. There's one more part to the what section, and it was, we see it in verse 16. It's the sacred assembly. The beginning and the end of the festival were to be marked as special and sacred. On the first and seventh days of the festival, they were to have a sacred assembly. The sacred assembly was a gathering of all the people in order to worship the Lord, and it would probably include sacrifices to the Lord. And we see the regulations for the first and seventh days. 
they were not to do any regular work. Only food preparation was allowed, but that was all. I know some of you women are thinking, that's still work. That's my regular work, right? If you're a stay-at-home mom, you're like, that's my regular work. I don't, I'm not feeling good about that. But does this remind you of anything in our modern culture? This whole festival idea? No work? Preparing food? How about the 4th of July celebrations? We remember, we commemorate our nation's independence every year. How many of you would like it to be seven days instead of one? You're like, that would be amazing. We could have a seven-day celebration. It would be great. I wouldn't have to work during this time. And most everyone is off work that day. Not everybody, but most. Most of us have some kind of gathering with family and friends, which includes eating, so food preparation. The only part that differs from the sacred assembly of the Feast of Unleavened Bread are sacrifices to the Lord, animal and grain, but hopefully we pause to thank the Lord for the freedoms he has given us in the United States and for the food that he's provided for us. So we kind of do something similar, don't we, in our culture. This was another opportunity for the Israelites to demonstrate their faith by being faithful to the regulation of not working. And so our faith is demonstrated by our faithfulness. So now we move on from the what to the how long. And the how long we see this lasting ordinance in verses 14b and 17b. It was to be an annual festival to the Lord for the generations to come. The fact that it was a lasting ordinance meant that there was no limit to the number of years it would be celebrated. To infinity and beyond, right? It was supposed to be forever. And so the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about the Lord's Supper for us. Holy Communion. As followers of Jesus Christ, it is a lasting ordinance for us until Jesus returns. Paul writes to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23b to 26, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you eat, whenever you uh, drink it, in remembrance of me. There it is again. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a lasting ordinance for us. And so this was an annual festival for an unlimited amount of time. There was a limit to the length of the festival each year, though. And we see that in verses 15a and 19a. It was seven days. It lasted for seven days. One week of festivities. <clears throat> that would be amazing, right? And so we know it was a festival to the Lord that lasted seven days each year for an unlimited number of years. But when was the festival supposed to happen each year? We see that in the when. It's in verse 18. He says, God says, in the first month, which is Aviv, Exodus chapter 13, verse 4, this is a little bit ahead of where we are, says this, today in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. So that's the first month. And if you remember from Exodus chapter 12, verse 2, the Lord instituted a new calendar for Israel. So if you just look back at that verse with me, it says this, this month is to be for you the first month the first month of your year. So God's like, restarting your calendar, this is it. 
This is when you're starting. <clears throat> and so the, the name of the first month was later changed to uh, Nisan from Aviv. In our modern calendar, it represents March to April. So if you're wondering where that falls for us. <clears throat> and then it's days 14 to 21 of that first month. And so the festival began with the Passover at twilight on the 14th day of Aviv or Nisan. And in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 4 to 8, we read these words. You heard them this morning. These are the Lord's appointed feasts, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do, not, and do no regular work. For seven days, uh, present an offering made to the Lord by fire. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. And so the festival was to take place on Aviv 14 to 21 every year. But who was supposed to participate? We see that in verse 19d, very end of that one. Everyone. Men, women, children were allowed to celebrate Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Whether you were native-born or aliens, you could participate. <clears throat> but there was a restriction for males that we see here. They were to be circumcised. This wasn't a problem for the Israelites because they circumcised their sons on the... Uh, at eight days old. But in Exodus chapter 12, verses 48 to 49, we read these words. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. <clears throat> then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies to the native born and to the alien living among you. So the men had to be circumcised. But everyone was welcome to participate in the seven-day festival to the Lord. The final point is this, where? And we see here that it was wherever they were living. There was not a restriction on where you could celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. If you were not in the Promised Land, you could still participate. <clears throat> and so what a relief for those who have been scattered many years later into Babylon and Persia and out throughout the Roman Empire that they weren't excluded from being able to participate in Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So as we review this morning, are you ready to trust God to deliver you from your sin? Whom do you need to remind, and what do you need to remind them of that God has done for you in your life? Do you need to prove your faith in God by being faithful to His commands and regulations? <clears throat> and as a body of believers... Whom do we need to remind and what do we need to remind them of that God has done in the life of Idaville Church? And do we need to prove our faith in God by being faithful to his commands and regulations for us as a body of believers? In a 2017 lecture, Mark Maynell addressed the connection between identity and memory. BBC Radio number 3 the UK's primary classical music station ran a fascinating series of articles on music and memory. Adam Zeman, a professor of cognitive and behavioral neurology, wrote about amnesia and memory loss and their relationship to epilepsy. Zeman mentioned two patients, Peter and Marcus, who described their amnesia in very similar terms. One said, my memory of my past is a blank space. I feel lost and hopeless. I'm trying to explore a void. 
Both described how disconcerting it is to look at photos. Even though they recognize themselves, they have no recollection of the moment. One said that it's like reading a biography of a stranger. He's conscious of recent memories slipping away from him like ships sailing out to sea in the fog, never to be seen again. Two things stand out in Zeman's essay. First, without memory, it's hard to cling to an identity. So one of the patients said, I don't have the moorings that other people draw on to know who they are. Second, it's hard to have hope when you don't know our past. As Zeman explained, the inability to invoke the past greatly impedes their ability to imagine a future. And so we, we can't forget. We never want to forget what God has done for us. And that was the purpose behind this whole feast of the unleavened bread was that God did not want the Israelites to forget that he had delivered them from slavery out of Egypt. God doesn't want us to forget that he's delivered us out of the bondage to sin. Aren't you grateful for that today? Man, I know I am. As the worship team comes and as the ushers prepare to take up the tithes and offerings and the communication cards, would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can learn so much through it. Lord, I pray that we would demonstrate our faith in such a way uh, we would prove that we are faithful. And so, Lord, uh, just work by your spirit right now in each heart and mind. Pray that you would do the work that you need to do there and that you would be honored and glorified through it. And so, Lord, we lift it up to you. And we ask this in your precious son's name. Amen. Would you stand?